the law school of america in jurisprudence undue influence is an equitable doctrine that involves one person taking advantage of a position of power over another person this inequity in power between the parties can vitiate one party's consent as they are unable to freely exercise their independent will in contract law where it is established that a plaintiff was induced to enter into a contract or transaction by the undue influence of the defendant, the contract may be rendered voidable. If undue influence is proved in a contract, the innocent party is entitled to set aside the contract against the defendant, and the remedy is rescission. As the law of undue influence was applied and developed by the Court of Chancery, it developed into two distinct classes, actual undue influence and presumed undue influence. In Australia, in Australia, the leading case on undue influence is Johnson v. Buttress, 1936, in which the approach to actual and presumed undue influence was at issue. Actual undue influence, where it is proven that the defendant exerted influence over the complainant to have them enter into a contract. Presumed undue influence, made up of 1. DEMA'd relationship of influence, relationships that raise the premise, as a matter of law, that influence has been utilized. 2. Relationship of influence in fact, where the complainant ensconces that trust and confidence was bestowed in the wrongdoer and therefore a presumption of influence should be recognized. Presumed undue influence. First subgroup. In the first subgroup, the relationship falls in a class of relationships that as a matter of law will raise a presumption of undue influence. Such classes include government-slash-citizen, note this is not confirmed, parent-slash-child, guardian-slash-ward, Religious advisor slash member of the flock. Solicitor, attorney slash client. Doctor slash patient. Note this excludes dentist and patient. In such cases, the burden of proof lies on the first of said parties, for example the government, parent, or doctor, to disprove undue influence on the second party. This requires the dominant party to establish that the second party knew and understood what he or she was doing, and that he or she was acting independently of the influence of the dominant party. One influential factor in deciding whether the second party was acting independently is whether he or she was given independent advice, while such advice is not indispensable for rebutting the presumption. Second subgroup. The second subgroup covers relationships that do not fall into the first subgroup, but on the facts of the case, there was a relationship between the parties that led to undue influence. The test is one of whether one party occupies or assumes towards another a position naturally involving an ascendancy or influence over that other or a dependence or trust on his part. If the plaintiff satisfies this a presumption of undue influence will arise, to which the onus of proof transfers to the defendant, who thereon, must rebut that in all the circumstances, the relationship between the parties involved dealings were at arm's length and that the other's will was in no way overborne by the relationship of confidence that existed. Actual undue influence. An innocent party may also seek to have a contract set aside for actual undue influence, where there is no presumption of undue influence, but there is evidence that the power was unbalanced at the time of the signing of the contract. Factors such as age, mental capacity and literacy of the donee, among other considerations such as the nature of the transaction, fair-unfair, will help determine actual undue influence. There is no requirement of manifest disadvantage. In Farmers Co-op Executors and Trustees v. Perks, a wife transferred her interest as tenant in common on a farming property to her husband, the property was owned jointly by the husband and herself. There was evidential proof that there was a long history of brutal domestic violence inflicted by the husband on the wife, whereby he ended up murdering her. 
There was a presumption that the wife only transferred her interest to the husband because of undue influence and evidence proved that the transfer resulted from actual undue influence. It was because of the history of violence that resulted in the judge setting aside the transfer. A contrasting case is Levy Chai, in which Mr. Lee purchased an apartment and a Porsche for Ms. Chai, with whom he was having an affair. Mr. Lee argued that the gifts were given as a result of undue influence, and as such should be set aside. It was held that Mr. Lee and Ms. Chai were not in a relationship of influence that would attract the operation of the equitable doctrine. Mr. Lee was a well-educated man with substantial experience in business affairs, while Ms. Chai had a less forceful personality and less business experience. This case highlights an approach taken in Australia, which is to focus on the impaired consent of the plaintiff. Dean Jay and Commercial Bank of Australia Limited via Matteo said undue influence, like common law duress, looks to the quality of the consent or assent of the weaker party. A special principle. In Garcia v National Australia Bank, 1998, the High Court of Australia approved the principle in Yorkie v Jones, by distinguishing between cases of actual undue influence and situations where the transaction is set aside because the guarantor does not understand the nature of the transaction. Although there is no presumption of undue influence, a lender is to be taken to have understood that, as a wife, the surety may repose trust and confidence in her husband in matters of business and therefore to have understood that the husband may not fully and accurately explain the purport and effect of the transaction to his wife, and yet, did not itself take steps to explain the transaction to the wife or find out that a stranger had explained it to her. In England and Wales. In probate law. Undue influence is the most common ground for will contests and are often accompanied by a capacity challenge. That is, someone in possession of full mental capacity is not likely to be swayed by undue influence, manipulation, or coercion. In litigation most jurisdictions place the burden of proving undue influence on the party challenging the will. Undue influence can be very difficult to prove, and the mere appearance of undue influence is inadequate to challenge the validity of a will. In probate law, Undue influence is generally defined as a testator's loss of free agency regarding property disposition through contemporaneous psychological domination by an advisor, resulting in an excessive benefit to the advisor. It is important to note that undue influence is an issue only when the advisor is benefiting, not when the advisor is getting a benefit for someone else, in that case it would be considered fraud. In Germany, to avoid undue influence it is illegal for a testator who is or has been a resident of a nursing home to bequeath any property to any employee of the nursing home. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. In jurisprudence, duress or coercion refers to a situation whereby a person performs an act as a result of violence, threat, or other pressure against the person. Black's Law Dictionary, 6th ed., defines duress as any unlawful threat or coercion used. To induce another to act in a manner otherwise would not. Duress is pressure exerted upon a person to coerce that person to perform an act they ordinarily would not perform. The notion of duress must be distinguished both from undue influence and civil law. In criminal law, duress and necessity are different defenses. Duress has two aspects. One is that it negates the person's consent to an act, such as sexual activity or the entering into a contract, or, secondly, as a possible legal defense or justification to an otherwise unlawful act. A defendant utilizing the duress defense admits to breaking the law, but claims that he or she is not liable because, even though the act broke the law, it was only performed because of extreme unlawful pressure. In criminal law, a duress defense is similar to a plea of guilty, admitting partial culpability, so that if the defense is not accepted then the criminal act is admitted. 
Duress or coercion can also be raised in an allegation of rape or other sexual assault to negate a defense of consent on the part of the person making the allegation. Discussion A defendant who raises a defense of duress has actually done everything to constitute the actus reus of the crime, and has the mens rea because they intended to do it to avoid some threatened or actual harm. Thus, some degree of culpability already attaches to the defendant for what was done. In criminal law, the defendant's motive for breaking the law is generally irrelevant unless a defendant is raising an affirmative defense allowed for by law. Duress may or may not be allowed as an affirmative defense for some particular charge, in particular, it is generally forbidden for murder, and many jurisdictions also forbid it for sexual assault. Malum and say offenses, generally, are less likely to recognize duress as a defense than malum prohibitum offenses. A successful affirmative defense means not that a criminal act was justified, but that the act was not criminal at all. But if no affirmative defense of duress is available, then the duress may be considered as justifying a lighter sentence, typically in proportion to the degree of duress. If the duress is extreme enough, for example, the defendant might be found guilty of murder but given a minimal, or even trivial, sentence. In some rare cases, a successful argument of duress, even when not an affirmative defense, might result in the jury nullifying the charge by refusing to convict. The basis of the defense is that the duress actually overwhelmed the defendant's will and would also have overwhelmed the will of a person of ordinary courage, a hybrid test requiring both subjective evidence of the accused's state of mind, and an objective confirmation that the failure to resist the threats was reasonable, thus rendering the entire behavior involuntary. Thus, the liability should be reduced or discharged, making the defense one of exculpation. The extent to which this defense should be allowed, if at all, is a matter of public policy. A state may say that no threat should force a person to deliberately break the law, particularly if this breach will cause significant loss or damage to a third person. Alternatively, a state may take the view that even though people may have ordinary levels of courage, they may nevertheless be coerced into agreeing to break the law and this human weakness should have some recognition in the law. A mutant of duress involves hostage-taking, where a person is forced to commit a criminal act under the threat of, say, that their family member or close associate will be immediately killed should they refuse, commonly known as a tiger kidnapping. This has been raised in some cases of ransom, where a person commits theft or embezzlement under orders from a kidnapper in order to secure a family member's life and freedom. However, duress is not a complete defense to all crimes. For example, the general rule, both at common law and today, is that duress is never a defense to murder, that is, one is never justified in killing another innocent person even if one's own life has been threatened, although this part may be questioned when multiple people are threatened with death if the defendant does not kill a single or fewer people than threatened, such a situation is similar to the trolley problem. Requirements For duress to qualify as a defense, four requirements must be met. 1. The threat must be of serious bodily harm or death. 2. The threatened harm must be greater than the harm caused by the crime. 3. The threat must be immediate and inescapable. 4. The defendant must have become involved in the situation through no fault of his own. A person may also raise a duress defense when force or violence is used to compel him to enter into a contract, or to discharge. In contract law. Duress in the context of contract law is a common law defense brought about when one of the parties to the contract enjoyed an ascendant position in relation to the other party and abused that position by subjecting the other two threats. A party who has entered into a contract under duress is entitled to rescind or set aside the contract, rendering it voidable, inequity. 
duress is a threat of harm made to compel someone to do something against their will or judgment, especially a wrongful threat made by one person to compel a manifestation of seeming assent by another person to a transaction without real volition. Black's Law Dictionary, 8th ed. 2004. Duress in contract law falls into two broad categories. Physical duress. Economic duress. Physical duress. Duress to the person. Professor Ronald Griffin, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical College of Law, Orlando, Florida, puts physical duress simply, your money or your life. In Barton v. Armstrong, a decision of the Privy Council, Armstrong, defendant, sought to coerce Barton, plaintiff, into executing a deed relating to the sale of certain companies by threatening to have him murdered. While the plaintiff took the threat seriously, other business reasons existed for signing the contract. An innocent party wishing to set aside a contract for duress to the person need only prove that the threat was made and that it was a reason for entry into the contract. Furthermore, once it is established that the threat was made, the onus lies on the person who made the threat to prove that the threat made no contribution to the plaintiff's decision to enter the agreement. Common law took a narrow view of the concept of duress in that it was concerned with actual or threatened violence to the person or unlawful imprisonment. Equity, however, adopted a broader fusion view of what sort of pressure could constitute coercion for purposes of relief and has since prevailed. Duress to goods. In such cases, one party refuses to release the goods belonging to the other party until the other party enters into a contract with them. For example, in Hawker Pacific Proprietary Limited v. Helicopter Charter Proprietary Limited, 1991, the contract was set aside after Hawker Pacific's threats to withhold the helicopter from the plaintiff unless further payments were made for repairing a botched paint job. The Elements of Economic Duress Economic duress is the use of unlawful economic pressure to compel a party to a contract to agree to demands which they would not have otherwise. 1. Wrongful or Improper Threat no precise definition of what is wrongful or improper. Examples include morally wrong, criminal, or tortious conduct, one that is a threat to breach a contract in bad faith or threaten to withhold an admitted debt in bad faith. 2. No reasonable alternative, but to accept the other party's terms. If there is an available legal remedy, an available market substitute, in the form of funds, goods, or services, or any other sources of funds this element is not met. 3. The threat actually induces the making of the contract. This is a subjective standard, and takes into account the victim's age, their background, especially their education, relationship of the parties, and the ability to receive advice. 4. The other party caused the financial distress. The majority opinion is that the other party must have caused the distress, while the minority opinion allows them to merely take advantage of the distress. Insane duress. In criminal law. When a person is found legally insane because they believed God ordered them to do the crime, deific decree, one interpretation of the insanity is that they acted under a delusion of duress by God. The Law School of America This has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America. Mm-hmm.